Hey, this is Jimmy from Denver. I'm just in town trying to check out the local spots and uh, see all the hop farms and great things that uh, Yakima Valley has to offer. And enjoy the late edition. Hey, remember us? It's the late edition. Uh, in case you forgot who we are and what we do, my name is Caleb Schwecki for YakimaValleyHops.com and SpotHops.com, and we sell hops. We are here in the heart of hop country, Yakima, Washington. It's a little smoky right now. We are right in the middle of August right now. Hop harvest is just starting to get going. Some wet hops are coming out of the fields right now, so that's pretty fun. Everything is looking great. Uh, all initial reports are positive, so really looking forward to seeing what the 2018 domestic harvest will look like. That will be a lot of fun. Something else that will be a lot of fun is our fifth annual Fresh Hop Party. Uh, we're throwing a little shindig in the streets. There's going to be music, lots of beer, lots of food. Should be a lot of fun as well. It's going to be Friday, September 28th. Doors open at 7. Hope to see you there. We'll be there. Pouring beer, doing fun things. Uh, let's get into this episode again. This is with Eric Demeray from CLS Farms here in Moxie. We are discussing Eldorado hops. Those were his idea. He started them, he farmed them, he grew them, and now a lot of people like them. So let's hear what he has to say. Yeah, so we, we, we had the variety for quite a few years uh, before it was, uh, it was always bred to be a um, kind of a uh, super alpha variety, but we always, we always knew it had some aroma characteristics that were very unique as well. And so we had it in a small one and a half, half acre plot, you know, for years. And and it, it didn't quite have enough what, you know, in, in, the, in the alpha sector, we, at least on a production side, we, we call it alpha pounds per acre. And that's just, that's just pounds of hops times the alpha percentage. And in the alpha sector, uh, it's just basically alpha pounds per acre that kind of win, win the day. And it was up there. It was good, but it wasn't quite as good as others. And so, so we had it, you know, and it, we just kind of sat in its little place there for a while and for a long time. You know, it was becoming obvious around 2009, 2010, the craft thing was going to take off, and craft brewers were demanding new, uh, new and unique aromas and varieties. We decided to go ahead and release it at that point formally into the trade. And in the spring of 2000, no, fall of 2010, we did at GABF. It was immediately had immediate positive feedback immediately, and so, you know, we've played catch up probably a little bit. And now I look back, you know, it's 2018, so it's already been eight years. Eight years I know, yeah, right? it's just yeah. dramatic how long it's it's been. But you know, new varieties take a long time to get ingrained and used in, in beers and tried and figured out how to use. And 
you know, it's very easy. Everybody wants new varieties and they'll try them one off. And, but that's tough from a hop production perspective because it's very hard. While it's easy for a brewer to pivot um, from variety to variety and beer style to beer style, it's more difficult for us on the grower side to do that. And so, you know, long term, when you release a new variety, what you're looking for is, you know, repetitive business. Staying power. Sustaining power. The, the variety finds itself in uh, year-round beers, but or and or what I would say, the variety finds itself as being a very flexible variety that can go into new that a brewer can put in their in their portfolio of varieties right. that can be used in all kinds of other new beer styles. Right. And so I do think sitting here in 2008, Eldorado has achieved that. It's definitely in some legacy. It's in Sculpin. It's in uh, Delicious IPA. It's the primary hop in Delicious IPA, which is the fastest growing beer in Stone's lineup. So it's in uh, Sierra Nevada Tropical Torpedo. You know, so it's found itself very much so in um, hop forward beers yeah. and nationwide brands. And, and but you know, one of the one of the most um, quotes I like the best. And you know, it, you know that that really resonated with us that we like a lot. And you know, everybody wants that Citra variety or Amarillo. That's the variety, right? I don't know if Eldorado is quite that variety, but Eldorado Eldorado certainly has a place. It's very unique. The brewer that owns uh, Cloudburst, Steve. Yeah. And so he had a quote about Eldorado, and they made actually made a beer because they generate so many beers, and they use Eldorado all the time. It's it's in their portfolio varieties they use all the time and all and they 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 do all new beers every sixty to ninety days, you know. And so he made a beer called Plays Well with Others, and Eldorado it can stand on its own, but it can also enhance very well other varieties. And so we do believe that Eldorado is 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 kind of you know matured into a variety that can not only stand on its own but works very well with other varieties as well. We see Eldorado getting married up with Citra and Mosaic quite often. Okay. And that, that, that happens. We see a lot of beers that way. We also, we also kind of look at the Google data stream a little bit, you know, and um, there is no doubt that Eldorado plays very well in the hazy IPA, Northeast IPA kind of zone. And so that it is, there is no doubt it fits very well into that stream. And so, you know, and so what, what, what we want out of a new variety is to be able to achieve all aspects. So you got, you got, it goes from delicious IPA at Stone, which is exclusively dry hopped with Eldorado, the fastest growing beer in their portfolio, to uh, Steve at Cloudburst who's mixed it with mosaic and citra because it enhances mosaic and citrus. Right. Okay, so we've got both ends of the spectrum because what we kind of view moving forward is, is, is we do think crappers in general are gonna have to, there's gonna be some reckoning of, you know, like we can't manage 80 varieties in our brewery. 
we got to manage seven, you know, and you want to be one of those seven, right? <laughs> right. So even from Yagvai House perspective, we're dealing with over 160 varieties mm-hmm. and it's became a, a logistic nightmare. Yes. Sourcing all of them, yeah. keeping up with the supply demand, economics of it, right? One might take off one year and the other might not. Sriracha, right. for example, was hot one year now and there's <laughs> zero demand for it, right? And that's interesting because, yeah, when you start to scale again, when you start to become bigger, as a brewery and production wise, you start thinking about those things. Mm-hmm. How many hops can we manage in our hop portfolio and mm-hmm. how many of these hops can play well with others and other brands? So you are, you know, you have a very balanced uh, supply mm-hmm. to the demand of beers that you're, pr- you're pumping out. Yeah. And the other, the other big aspect with El Dorado we did, it is a proprietary, but from very early on, we would classify it as what would be called an open source proprietary. So we quickly licensed uh, multiple growers, multiple dealers. You can buy Eldorado free and clear from just about anybody. That was a refreshing kind of new approach on it because we, you know, we're trying to build a long-term brand. We're trying to bring a build a brand, a, a variety that's going to last and be durable over the long run. And if a variety is hot, but severely controlled in its supply chain, we don't think that's a long-term sustainability uh, issue. And so, and so we quickly broadened it out very, very quickly um, to multiple growers. We do charge a royalty for, the, for that at the grower level, but the grower's free to sell direct to a brewery. They're free to sell to any uh, dealer they want, as long as that dealer has a license agreement, which we give freely. And so, and so we we have placed really what you know we so like i said we call it kind of an open source or a or a you know a, a supply and demand variety i mean it's it's based it's a free market variety it's going to go where the free market wants to take it here's a good counterbalance between you know what what the what people think of proprietaries and you know and then also open source i would say or or public varieties right mm-hmm. which would be the cascade centennial anyone can grow those and sell those then there is other varieties that are very controlled which are hbc varieties and then there are ones that you're presenting here which are in the middle which still there is some limitations on um you know the the control aspect of mm-hmm. where it's grown but at the same time it's enabled to get in different channels so it's been able to expand out to the the uh, the brewer base mm-hmm. you also can choose from what uh, distributor you want to get it from mm-hmm. and so it really has been able to excel as a variety over time and it will pick up from multiple for breweries yeah. because the exposure has been so much yeah more. the exposure has been I think it's the biggest thing yeah the exposure under that model the exposure yeah. to brewers and honestly home brewers yeah. has been way faster and way quicker you know someone like you who I didn't restrict it, right. you know, and so and so you were able to have access to it and move it to home brewers as quick as as quick as a hot dealer who wanted to move it, let's say, to a brewer. And we see that. So we see that in the data. Some of the Brewers Association stats we get. So one of the great one of the great stats from the Brewers Association that we got this year was that they track the hottest. Uh, demand varieties. And so Eldorado doesn't crack the top ten, but once they layered in frequency of response at the brewer level yeah then all of a sudden and then and then put that in with the volume all of a sudden el dorado came way up and so and so we looked at that from uh, i'm an economics major that's where that's what i graduated in and so that's where my brain thinks and so 
And so that was like music to my ears because it quantified what our strategy was. And our strategy was, was we wanted exposed to lots of different people. And when you offer it to lots of dealers and lots of homebrew supply shops and there's no restrictions on it, we, we're getting broad exposure across many different channels, marketing channels. And so it, you know, so that's, that's on, accomplishing our goal. On both, right? On both the farmer aspect to it, right? So getting mm -hmm. other farmers to grow it mm -hmm. and then also getting other dealers or merchants to sell it mm -hmm. enables a, a very, a, enables a model for a proprietary hop to get out to as many brewers as possible. Whereas a one channel thing might be mm -hmm. limited that way. Exactly. And it might be, you know, for better, for worse, the, you know, there's different business strategies, yep, yep, of course, yep, right? Yep, yep. But this seems everybody to, can everybody can right. choose their own business. But strategy. it it is nice to point out that this is, this is a, a different model in terms of the proprietary mm -hmm. um, aspect of space of hops, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, absolutely, uh, this kind of brings up two questions in my mind. The first question is kind of like a business economic related question. Mm -hmm. How does a new hop variety get integrated into a brewer's portfolio? Mm -hmm. And then I would say, secondly, is more of like a scientific or even anecdotal kind of thing when you talk about El Dorado playing well with Citra and Mosaic is there something on is there something on the the chemical level that allows El Dorado to play well with those hops once again I'll kind of put my economic hat on you know and 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 so when we talk about hops that are the real deal so there's lots of new hop varieties out there I mean now there's literally hundreds of them and so there, you know, there used to be like, quote, new hop varieties were pretty rare. And, but now there's hundreds of them as we filter in this new world of new hop varieties. And so it used to be good enough to get a little bit of traction with a hop variety just to be new. If you had a good name and it was new, you would, you would get some traction. Okay. And so, and you still can today to a little bit, but the landscape's changed a little bit. And now to get uh, traction, what I would consider long-term traction with a new hop variety, it has to be what I kind of call the real deal, brewing-wise. It has to be the real deal, brewing-wise. Okay, and so, and as Jeff can probably attest to, he's got 180 varieties. He's got, he's got growers, dealers, everybody bombarding you guys with new hop varieties. And some go, and some, some don't, yep. right? And, and, and some take a little bit of time, then go. But at the end of the day, the ones that are gonna go anymore are the ones that really are bringing interesting, unique, quality brewing characteristics to the brewers, whether it's home brewers or, or craft brewers. And, so, and so, so, you know, that, we do think the bar is probably a little higher now on new hop varieties uh, than it was four or five years ago. And we do think uh, winners are starting to emerge in that space. You know, it's not just good enough to release a new variety anymore. It's gotta, it's gotta, it's gotta be a new variety. It's gotta be the real deal. It's gotta have the marketing behind it. It's gotta have the supply chain management behind it. It's gotta have the whole spectrum. We've seen some examples of, of varieties that just got released in a, oh. in a name put on them, yep. but they're just dead. They aren't going anywhere. They're just dead to the world. And so I, you know, we kind of think that uh, moving forward, you know, varieties are, you're, you're gonna have to be a lot more circumspect in releasing varieties to make sure there's something unique and new and durable and, and have a model with it. When we talk about a model uh, of getting these hops out there, I think one, and CLS is a uh, big part of 
a big part of this is to get feedback and uh, from homebrewers and get them in the hands of homebrewers to really experiment with these hops to really you know really get a lot yeah. of feedback before hey let's commit to this let's plan it let's you know let, this could this has potential uh, so there's the bottom of approach which we say yep. it starts at the foundation of the home brewer the top the top end approach is the commercial brewer right you get in the hands yep. of like a bells or an Oscar blues they put in a very high profile beer and you get it known yep. throughout time and then you know then you have the brew pubs and everything else in the middle but if, if those two are successful if home brewers are really love it and they adore it and they utilize it in so many different aspects and then also the big time commercial brewers uh, want it they meet in the middle, all of a sudden, boom, it's a commercial variety. It gets named yep. for the marketability aspect of it. It's yeah. got to have the agronomics, right? And so that, yeah. there is that component of it. But it, it does speak to testaments that, you know, the, the homebrew market is a very prominent space for, for yep. both feedback and, and, and the, the growth and sustainability yeah, of, so, a, of a variety. Yeah, so we, we've really adopted a different, There's in our mind, there's a whole new paradigm. So here's the old paradigm. The old paradigm was a handful of large brewers, and there was a there's a research uh, uh, group, and and the public varieties they would they would breed public varieties. They would go to this research group, and then and then what they would look for is one one or two large brewers could be craft brewers or could be macros. They look for it. It was always top down, always, always top, top down. down. Yep. Okay. They would look for that, and if that variety didn't get kind of the the little whoop de doo, that it, it never went anywhere. Okay, and so what we've done now is we place as much or more importance in the homebrew slash small, small brew pub, brew pub yep. or small brewer market as we do the big one. Yep. Okay, and just because a big brewer might not want Eldorado or or whatever, that doesn't mean it can't be successful. And then when you get the marriage of the two, so what we do when we when we release a new variety or, or push on our varieties, we produce we push on the bottom and we push on the top, and when they when the two meet, then it goes, because honestly this 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 industry didn't develop from the top down. Craft didn't develop from A B top down. It developed from people at the homebrew level bottom up, and so at least for the time being, both strategies need to be employed you know, to, to move a variety to where it needs to be. And what's really cool too, right? So, uh, I'm, you know, you ask most commercial brewers that work for a brewery or, or, uh, you know, whatever, most of them have started off as home brewers. So most of them mm -hmm. have had experience with those and they'll carry that into recipes, into mm -hmm. their new job experiences. So even if it's not even just your, you know, it doesn't just stop with homebrewing. A lot of these guys will take it into the commercial brewery world mm -hmm. from the bottom up, which will then translate to the top up, right? Yeah, at, oh, at the yeah, same exactly. time, a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. And and frankly, I mean, you almost don't even need a top brewer anymore. So when we talk about six thousand craft brewers in the United States, if I have a new variety and I get five hundred of them, five hundred, just five hundred yeah. to buy a thousand pounds. Yep not a huge bar that's that would be a huge that would be a huge expansion opportunity for me as a hop grower that's that that would be uh, over 250 acres we're a we're a 15 1600 acre farm and we're 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 we would be on the small side of large was how i would say our farm is we're on the small side of being a large grower 
and that would be a very significant 250 acres of hops huge would be a very significant Whoa. amount and so so we don't need everybody we only need 500 buying a thousand pounds yep. and we have almost got more than we can handle oh yeah you know so so what the one of the big takeaways is home brewers slash even small brewers that that space commands lots of volume these days and a lot of respect in terms of the experimentation aspect to it a lot of time you know most of the time homebrewers have the time and they have the money to experiment with different styles of beer and genres or using different utilizing different uh, varieties of hops whereas a commercial brewer might be just pigeonholed or, or pressed for time just to commercially output the beer just to satisfy what's going on in their in their space right yeah just yeah you know, so they don't they might not necessarily have an experimental brewery setup or or have time to uh, experiment with all these new varieties so they do lean upon the data that they get from home brewers to kind of guide them hey a lot of people are liking El Dorado right now. Maybe yeah. we should put this in a beer. Maybe we should make this with our our net. You know, like one brand's not uh, not making you know the cheese. So let's let's yeah, yeah. put it in something different. Yeah. So it is the market space has changed considerably, uh, and I do want to speak on varieties from the top that that maybe didn't get a lot of shine that is getting a lot of shine right now, and that is Comet. Mm-hmm. Right, so that yeah. was a variety that was out in um, mid early to mid seventies. Early mid seventies has not been around since then. All of a sudden, in the next, the past like three, four years, uh, the commercial brewers have picked it up mm-hmm. and said, "Hey, this is a this is an amazing hop. Mm-hmm. Let's get this going." And now, all of a sudden, you're starting to see a better supply chain with mm-hmm. Common itself, and, and including mm-hmm. uh, CLS Farms, right? Mm-hmm. You guys yeah, are growing, yeah, yeah, yep, yeah Common, absolutely, yeah. So we're that, one of the first ones uh, to, you know, we weren't the first, but we were one of the first ones to re uh, re re grab it and 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 move on and and push forward with it. So. Okay, yeah, it follows that whole Family Guy model, right? Like Family Guy, it wasn't very popular in the beginning, yeah. but then all of a sudden, DVD cells start taking off. Yeah. And all of a sudden, <laughs> everyone is saying, and then Family Guy starts coming back on TV, right? Yeah, it's all on Fox News again, it's right? It's on, it's on fact. Should we rename yeah. it called Family Guy? Yeah, it's called Family Guy. <laughs> Put some Family Guy in there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Comet, Comet's a Comet's a, a neat little success story. Certainly has unique aroma, you know, and and, and Matt Brunelson even said it might have been a, a citrus sister, little sister, right, yeah. or mm-hmm. something. That's right, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Which is which is amazing because they're they're. I mean, they just released Firestone just released a, a beer just based upon public, yeah, Fridays, right? And that's kind of yeah. like a marketing thing with itself. But I'm sure comments in that. But yeah, yeah, it does go to show if there's a man, that will happen. Yeah, yeah. So what we kind of, our farm, you know, uh, one of our marketing strategies is we, we call ourselves kind of a 50-50 farm, yeah. you know, and so, and we talk a lot about being 50-50 and, and um, you know, and so 50-50, at least 50% of our production is public varieties because that's what brewers tell us they want. You know, they want that space and they want, they want a footprint in there, you know, but, but also, proprietaries are very uh, hot, and that's what they want too. So we do those two, and so and then we also work. You know, 50%. We we do sell direct to some brewers, and but we also use the dealer network too. And so, and so you know, we 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 try to play in all the spaces. But but it is a CLS Farms uh, mantra that we are a 50/50 farm, public versus you know versus proprietary, and we're going to have a huge public space. Because we think that's what our customers want 
and but they also want proprietaries we're going to do that too but we're not going to abandon one for the other oh, or yeah. you know we're going to play we're always going to do what our customers want So, hey, Caleb, what are you doing on Friday? What what Friday? Oh, you know, September 28th. September 28th, Friday? Uh, what time? Oh, I think the doors, you know, maybe around 7? Seven. 7 o'clock? Let me, <laughs> let me check my over. calendar. Hey, Caleb, hey, Caleb, what are you doing on Friday in September? Now I go? Wait, what are you doing on the last Friday of September? What date is that? It's the 28th. 28th? Yeah, maybe around 7 o'clock. I think we have something cool going on. Let me, you know, I do think something cool is going on then. Let me check my calendar. Flip, 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 flip. Oh, wait, no, my calendar's on a phone. Bleep, bloop, 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 bloop. Oh, Friday, September 28th, 7 p.m. What do you got going on? The 5th annual Yakima Valley Hops Fresh Hop Party. What? You knew that already. That's crazy. How crazy? <laughs> It was hella crazy, because I'm going to go to that, too. Is it crazy as water being wet? Hey, am I going to see you there? I'm going to be there. Are you going to be there? It is wet, dog. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there probably selling merch. Selling merch. Uh, I'm probably going to be, you know, trying to give out t-shirts for free. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's how you lose Ooh, money for us. I got an idea. Us. If we have a password, I'll make the password uh, Hopalapa Ding Dong. If anybody comes up to me and says that at the merch table, I will give them free merch. Hopalapa ding dong. You heard it here first. Bring it. Hopalapa ding dong. Hopalapa ding dong. Maybe you, that's our catchphrase. If you come up and say that, the fresh hot party, you get free merch. All right. I'll be pouring beer, but all that's going to be free anyways, so I don't need any uh, passwords. Hopalapa ding dong. The earth could be flat. Come see Corey for a free hat. The creativity is hitting rock bottom Earlier on, you were making the differentiation between growing zones in the Yakima Valley, and we're talking about miles making a big difference mm -hmm. in growing varieties. But one of your newest varieties is Neo Mexicanus, mm -hmm. and that came from somewhere outside of the state, mm -hmm. came from old, old genetics. Could mm -hmm. you speak a little bit to that? Yeah, for sure. So, so most of the most of the varieties we are growing commercially in the United States are European based, for the most part. Um, with some wild American genetics infused in them. So most varieties that commercial brewers are using are mostly uh, European-based with a little bit of American genetics, uh, wild native American genetics uh, in there. And so we, uh, we connected with uh, an individual in New Mexico who was collecting pure native humulus loop or humulus neo mexican lupulus neo mexican for how long do you know, um, do you know time well this? so we we started with him in about 2011 or 12 and he he was already 10 years so he had to be 2000. how, how many how many so he was okay i keep on collecting species i mean how many did he have well he he collected about 
30 or 40 different ones, males and females. Genetically different, tested, genetically different. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah, Humulus, yeah. Lupulus, New Mexicanus. So we, these yeah, are yeah. native to the Southwest right. United yep. States, yep. mostly in the New Mexico. Uh, their, their range, their species range goes from Northern New Mexico up through New Mexico, Colorado, and then up into Utah, even up in maybe into Southern Montana, oh, kind of in, yeah. you know, but normally Southwest United States is where they're primarily based. And, and so the, the, these, are, these aren't new. A lot of people think they, they call them new because they're new to the brewing scene. They're not new. These are millions and millions and millions of years old, these varieties. They've just been growing wild and, and no one's paid much attention to them is you know and so you know beer you know uh, world civilization started in central europe middle east and so brewing started there so it makes most sense i mean you know civilization and brewing didn't start in the united states oh yeah well, i mean, with the, I mean the, thinking, the united states wasn't born i mean europe right it's a migration to the europe and then obviously to the west I mean, right it didn't okay. start and there, so right? yeah. and so and so it makes okay so the the variety when they made beer in the United States in the 1400s, yeah, they didn't use these varieties. They they used varieties from Europe, right? I mean, and and so there wasn't um, in in 19 in 1900 there was a lot of uh, uh, hop genetics going on in in UK, and and one of the UK researchers took some of the American wild material and crossed it with the European material. And a lot of the varieties we have today have some historical reference to that. Do you think that's because of, uh, they did that because of genetic fitness, such as resistance to disease? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, what's, re- I don't, yeah, we I don't, don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know, know if yeah. I know the reason. Okay, I would assume though, I would assume, right? I mean, the introduction of different genetics well, I within think, organisms? I think, I think uh, Native American varieties provided some potential yield upside because they have a high uh, leaf to cone ratio. So it's a lot of cones to a little bit of leaves. They're very productive. And so I think they, I think they married them to try and come up with a more productive yeah, more, variety. More, yeah, more, more cones, density, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that makes yeah. more sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally, 100%. You know, and so, and so what they did, and so here's what I'm pretty confident they did over the historical record. And so they found, so, so the, 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 the North American native varieties, they're very unique aroma-wise. Not only are they unique smelling them wise, they're very unique chemical composition wise, they're very unique. And so in the early 1900s through the mid late 1900s, they really viewed that. And so if you look back in the literature, they call it an objectionable aroma. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so they found the wild American hops to have an, quote, objectionable aroma. And so when they crossed them, when they got daughters that exhibited the, uh, quote, objectionable aroma, they got rid of them. Mm -hmm. And they selected more for the European aroma. So they kind of tossed all the, all of it. It's just like dog breeding, right? I, hey, I want a dog with this kind of, or I want, you know, X, Y, and Z, right? And then over time, yes, those ones get, those genetics get passed through. Right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And so, and so what happened is, is, so yes, they were crossed with wild American ones, but anything exhibiting that wild American aroma got tossed into the garbage. Okay. So, 
So what we've done with Neomexicons, that's a little bit white, white lab code-ish and clonal-ish and, you know, right? Yeah, okay. yeah, we're not looking for crazy, like, scientific, yeah, yeah well, information Yeah, well, no, here. no, yeah, no, yeah. no, but I yeah, mean, yeah. and so, but, but one thing that we, one of our primary marketing object, objectives with the Neomexiconists is all of our Neomexiconists are native. So, they're, yeah, they're 100%. New, they're 100% native to the United States, yes. which no one else at this point can say that. No. And so, and so they, it doesn't come without some warts. They, they, got, they have a few warts yeah. on them. Okay. And all the wild, objectionable aroma is right there on display. Okay. And so, and so, and they have some agronomic warts too. Okay. But, but these, these varieties weren't made with a white lab coat, you know, in a laboratory. These varieties were made in the wilds, you know, the old-fashioned way. <laughs> and, and they and they exhibit those aroma yes. characteristics, hundred yep. percent all yep. the way through, yep. right? Yep. Yep. And just because it was objectionable back then, just like maybe IPAs used to be, it doesn't mean that it's not that's favorable right. now. That's right. Right. I mean, that, that's why Comet yeah. didn't take so off originally. We, yeah. So yeah. when you know, when you understand the lineage, so what we found is, is so we've identified what we believe is a certain lineage. And the closer you're connected to Neomexicanus on lineage right now, the more the brewers want it. So Comet is Eldorado's grandma, and Eldorado's great-grandpa is a Colorado Neomexicanus male. Okay, and so, so Comet is only one generation away from Neomexicanus, and Eldorado's only two generations away from Neomexicanus. And so what we're seeing, what we're seeing is brewers that are coalescing around stuff that is not very far away from Neo-Mexicana's right. parentage. Okay, so we think, this is just what we think. We think, we think that this has been an underutilized aroma and, and all of a sudden, so any variety that is only a, a generation or two away from Neomexicana's parentage is like catching fire right now. That's why, that's why, okay, so we got Comet. That's Eldorado's grandma. Yep. Very close, only two generations away. That's why we made the leap to go right to Neomexicana's was because, because what we're seeing is a lot of heavy, and I don't even think brewers know it right now. I don't. I don't even think a lot of brewers even maybe even yeah, consciously it. know it. Or consciously, consciously know, know it. it. Yeah, yes, because yeah, yeah. they don't understand. They don't even realize that Neomexicanus is just one generation removed from Comet. Yeah, and only two generations removed from Eldorado. But see, that's. The, but then it goes back to if they knew that knowledge, would they select hops differently? Right. If you pre, if you know this knowledge, would it have influences on your choices of how what you how you choose your hops in your portfolio? That's the same thing as when you're yeah. doing when you're doing blind selecting, right? That's why you don't tell you don't say, "Hey, this is pick this, this, and this." You're saying A, B, C, and D. You you want them to connect to the senses that's inherent to them at the time and the moment, and 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 that's what's so cool about, I guess, brewing in general. Yeah. It, it combines is like cooking combines that science component, but it also combines that very personal subjective component that blend together mm -hmm. to make the decision of why that is a good thing. That's why craft brewing 
has exerted that. But yeah, Neo Mexicanos, that's cool. I, and I, I never heard that from you before. But but Neo Mexicanos in general, I, you couldn't even put them in the same category as a as a new like variety mainstay. No, no, they, it's already, a totally different deal. They've already been totally. Different they've already deal. been delineated as yeah. a new species. Exactly right. So it's not even like you can't even put them on. You can't be like, oh yeah, that's the new one that's gonna take off. I mean, that's yeah. just totally different. Uh, yeah. Totally different realm, which is exciting. Which is yeah. Exciting. Well, and the thing is, is we're at the beginning of this frontier. Yeah. Okay, so so there's lots of there's lots of people uh, crossing Neo Mexicanus right now, and it's a good bet you might see some crosses. But those but those are just crosses. They're crosses that we've already people have already seen. They're going to try and tag onto the Neo Mexicanus. So you know our big thing is really to say right at this point to say really Neo Mexicanus 100%. That's our that's our deal because you know what U.S. home brewers, U.S. craft brewers. Or the world's leading brewers and so you know from a marketing perspective i mean it's like okay this is a homegrown variety and you guys are the homegrown leaders of the world right now you know you should be together <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> you you mentioned earlier that neo-mexicanus is chemically different than humulus lupulus could you expand on that a little bit i don't know if i have the full um the full technical range of that myself you know we we're, we're we have been doing a lot of work with uh, Sierra Nevada Sierra, Sierra Nevada has a pretty sophisticated lab you know and so Sierra Nevada is going to have a is going to build a year-round beer off of Neo Mexicanus and they believe wholeheartedly that there that there is some very special chemical and they've been uh, they've been a big part of this from day one right yeah, I mean, absolutely they were part yeah. of the wild harvest series mm-hmm. right and mm-hmm. so they featured that in one of their uh one, that series and then also they uh, caught up all the zappa yeah, yeah. The it's year. coming though it's coming though. yeah so okay, yeah so everyone out there so new mexicanus medusa the next one got uh officially zappa yeah uh endorsed by mm-hmm. the zappa families which yep. will be zappa mm-hmm. and and if you google i'm sure there's multiple articles but yeah tom uh Nielsen from Sierra Nevada yeah. has been a big part of like yeah, yeah. Uh, of this whole thing. Yeah. You know, but so. I mean, it kind of if if you know we're so we're sitting here talking to Yakima Valley Hops, which is a major supplier of, and a leader in the homebrew supply side of things, and so we're talking. You know, just ten minutes ago, we we're talking about that top and bottom strategy, that top down, bottom up strategy, and and so that's why we're here, right? You know, so a lot of things we hear from the smaller craft and even homebrew uh, groups are. Well, you know, all those hops just went to the, went to the, you know, just went to, went to Sierra or went yeah. to whoever, you know, and so what we're, what we're, we're, we're trying to pay equal uh, dividends to, you know, the, um, you know, the, the other side as well. And I can tell you categorically, 50% of the Medusa this year went to Yakima Valley hops. It did. Oh, 50%. <laughs> Which is awesome. Yeah. Thank you. And we're almost out. Yeah. yeah and we're almost out. But yes, there and and, and I th- I'm sure all the homebrewers really appreciate that, right? So and it it has been, and we've gotten tremendous feedback on it, right? So we've gotten uh, all sorts of like flavor wheels with data on it, you know, sensory panels, uh, people writing up in different styles of beer, and and again, we, uh, you know, hop farmers and you know, such as yourself, you you guys feed on that data as well. You love it when people mm-hmm. put that out there in the atmosphere. 
Um, well, especially when it's positive, obviously. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, like, but I if it say, isn't, but if it, but again, it gets dictated by demand. If it's not, then let's move on to something different. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what I would say is we're, we're in the first, we're, I don't even know if we're in the first inning of Neo Mexicanos. Oh, no. We're in the, maybe the first batter of, of Neo Mexicanos. And so Medusa and Zappa are the very first stabs at it. Yeah. We have 70 different ones in our portfolio. But we, I, we should talk upon what is the downfalls of scaling Neo Mexicanos too, because otherwise people, you know, yeah, people wouldn't you know, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. So you know, so so part of the part of the issue is 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 you know where the where the white lab coat is good, is the white lab coat can put varieties together and take the best of both and the, get rid of the worst of the other, and over time the white lab coat can can get. I suspect it can probably get the Neo Mexicanos aroma in probably a better yielding variety. So that's just being honest. Yeah. Okay, but that's years and generations away from being able to get there. So those are the good those are the good aspects of it. There are there are difficulties with these varieties. They did not learn how to grow up a string. They grew up in a desert with no water. So when you put a little bit of irrigation water to them, they get this root this this root disease called Phytophthora. And so they, there's, you know, there's a couple other weird anomalies about them that we're learning. And, and so it's not perfection. It's not, it's not perfection. And in the short run, they're gonna be a labor of love. They're gonna be a labor of love for the grower. They're gonna be a labor of love for the dealer. And they're gonna be a labor of love for the brewer. Yes, uh, or, or, or home brewer, yes, yes. And so, and so they're going to be a labor of love all the way through the supply chain for a while, you know. But we're in literally the first batter of the of the of the inning of the game with them. And so you know, there there's a lot of uniqueness there. There's there's value there, and and honestly, what it what what Neo Mexicanus needs, it needs some advocates. So this is where the homebrew market comes into play. Overall, the agronomics are they're half, if not less than. But you know, you're just, you always talk about bales per acre, right? Yep. So you're talking about half the bales per acre that you could get out of something like El Dorado. Yep. So in order to plant that, if you on a on a commercial economic mm-hmm. scale, you have to think about okay, what's the return value? Yep. And how much do I need yep. to make this happen? We and need a talk, higher price point. We need a higher price point, which is, explains why mm-hmm. the, the and that gets that gets trickled down to the consumer, and people need to know that. But that demand there will drive the the research into it. That's right. And it will drive uh, more planting of it. That's so right. homebrewers are the central focus of this variety yeah, to some degree outside of just Sierra Nevada. Like there other I would actually even go on a further uh, you know the reason we reached out to you guys is is we we believe the actual the, the homebrewers you know this once again economics my brain that's where my brain goes is that is that we think they you know is when you're doing small batch very small batch you can afford to pay a little bit more exactly right okay and so you know um and and jeff's exactly right you need a little bit of extra money at the front end to drive research development innovation to get it kind of fledgling off the ground i don't we we this is this is something to everybody to put their clamps into a little bit this is not, these aren't varieties that Anheuser Bush or Miller Coors would ever take, yeah. would never take. Okay. These are, these are wholeheartedly homebrew, small craft brewer varieties. 
because of their yield characteristics and what they need from us as growers to nurture them along and and so and so these are special they're special and they're unique and they're only going to be uh workable for a smaller group of of people there's no such thing as abi coming in and buying up 400 acres of they would never do it yeah. yeah economically wise they would never do it right economically wise they would never do it but this goes to show that homebrewers do have yes yeah a hand in in directing a variety whether successful or not yeah. but well I, I i they'll ultimately be successful i know they will but right now home you know homebrewers are very important to it and and the other thing is it's on the cutting edge and 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 you know they it's and so it's it it could they could be we'll see how it works out but they could be really the one of the first really bottom up variety classes that emerge this could be the yeah first variety where homebrewers really push it so far because every every major breeder of hops yep all the white coats they go to a certain size brewer first always (laughs) it doesn't matter who you are in this business and i deal with all of them they always go top down first yes 100 percent they do yeah uh, it's only until recently, in the past couple of years, you know, progressive entities such as CLS Farms have have actually come to the bottom up approach, and they're and the progressive in the sense of knowing that, right? And again, it comes back to user generated feedback. Social media is a big part of this. Yep. Putting flavor uh, wheels, you know, giving feedback anywhere. Maybe you have a blog. Maybe you have, you know, you're on the Brewer Association forum and you're giving feedback on it. Those type of those type of actions translate into getting more of it planted and more progression into that lineage of hops yeah or 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 variety in general yeah absolutely well that should just about do it for this episode thank you so much eric that was awesome thank you for being so generous with your time there was a lot of good stuff in there thank you jeff fun as always Really appreciate it. There was a lot of good feedback that we got from the first part of the episode. We know that you guys really enjoy what Eric has to say. So if you liked this episode, it would help if you left a review somewhere, wherever you are listening to us. Let us know what you think. We read them. We pay attention to them. We appreciate them. Thank you so much for listening and catch you next time. Um, hops, hops, fresh hop party ideas. Let's see. Let's just tear this. Okay, Whoa, we don't need that one. Ideas. Well, you know, we can come up with the same ones again. We're starting fresh. Um, okay. and, fre- fresh is best. And uh, what do we do? Like tape. Roses are red. Paper is white. Come to the fresh hop party and have a great night. Ooh. Yeah, but some paper is not white. I know this paper is yellow yeah, specifically. So this paper is blue. That paper is blue. So I. Whoa. Oh, um, roses are red. Paper is colorful. Come to the fresh shop party. It's gonna be wonderful. That is. <laughs> <laughs> but lots of things are colorful. You can see the rainbow is colorful. It doesn't have to be at this point. Uh, uh, People are colorful. Grass is green and hops are too. Come to the hop party if you don't want to be a foo.
Yeah. <laughs> Roses are red, hops are magical. Come to the fresh hop party, it's fantastical. Whimsical. Whimsical? whimsical? Well, it's not exactly better. whimsical. There's not much whimsy. Um, spect It's gonna be a spectacle. We got breweries, we got music, we got merchandise to sell for you. We got we Hop Dude Ryan. Hop Dude Ryan's gonna be here answering questions. We have um, entertainers. Uh, Oh, they're bringing the keg car? There's a cycle bike that has like kegs on it. Oh, bearded monkey. Bearded monkey's bringing the cycle car? We're gonna have a photo booth there. There's gonna be lots of fun things. Uh, don't bring your kids, because we don't have a spot for them. No dogs, no kids, just, you know, over 21. Adults. Anyway, we got breweries, we got music, we got food, we got photo. We, got good uh, we still don't have a tagline though. Fresh Hop Party 2018, we'll September 28th. Do not be tardy. Fresh Hop Party, September 28th. It's gonna be a blast. Friday. Friday. Fresh Hop Party, Friday, September 28th. Bring your kids. No, no. no. Don't bring your kids. <laughs> Fresh Hop Party, September 28th. Only for kids. <laughs> Fresh Hop Party, Friday, September 28th. Be there. Drink beer. Enjoy some music. Eat some food from the food trucks. Get your photo taken. Hang out with Bearded Monkey Cycles. Come buy some merch. Ask us questions. Enjoy homebrewing. Talk to people. Give yourself a pat on the back. Just enjoy the day because it's really going to be a great weekend. And you need to start it with us because we got the best music in town. We got the best beer in town. We got everybody coming from out of town to in town, and it'll be in town. Fresh Hop Party, Friday, September 28th. Be there and be fair with yourself because it's great to drink beer and it's good for you. All and your kids. <laughs> nope. No kids. <laughs> Fresh Hop, you don't stop. Gotta get it back till you're gonna go pop, pop. With the crop, the new crop, 2018 coming at ya. Gonna get ya. Fresh shop's gonna come get ya. These hops are freshest. Caleb keeps on trying to turn off the microphone, but I won't stop talking.